0: Please take your Bibles and join us in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. We'll read just four verses this morning, 22 through 25. Hope this will be of help to all of us. You'll remember that Peter is writing to uh, people that he calls elect exiles. We would call them folks who have been displaced from their homes and sent to a far country. In this case, these are Jewish people who would have been raised in uh, Israel, but uh, had been transported by government persecution, by the military uh, overreach, if you will, of ancient Rome. And they now fled away to Asia Minor, uh, ancient Asia Minor today, the country of Turkey. So all the regions that are named way back in chapter 1, verse 1, are all regions of modern-day Turkey So these folks are hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem and they are living as exiles or we might today call them uh, refugees or evacuees or at least displaced peoples. So their particular circumstance, though different than virtually all of us, is uh, the principles are the same and we're going to see here in 1 Peter that uh, he is writing to strengthen them, to be of strong encouragement. I think of this book uh, often in, in my personal life, as well as my ministry work, because uh, I run into people all the time who are in the midst of profound difficulty. Pretty much that's the way it is. People are facing various kinds of pressures and sorrows or fears or... or uh, if you will, challenges that, that just seem larger than life, certainly larger than their ability to cope with joy. And uh, I think about, well, where in the Bible does it say that we should handle this differently or handle this better? What's kind of our go to? And in fact, there are many passages. We could immediately go to the Psalms, virtually all the Psalms would help us uh, greatly. There are many other instances throughout the Old and New Testament. But the low-hanging fruit for me is 1 Peter. Because he's, as we're going to see, he's reminding them again and again that their suffering is, in many respects, a reminder that they are not made for this world. That there's something going on in the DNA of what it means to be a follower of Christ, that we know that this is not our, our long-term plan. The long game with God is not this world. In fact, the long game with God is clearly beyond this world, and that is good news and comforting. So it really doesn't matter if we, we have people problems or money problems or health problems or relationship problems or problems. It doesn't ultimately matter because we know they're temporary five years 10 years 20 years maybe 40 years maybe even a lifetime but even that our lifetime is three score and 10 and then we fly away Moses said so we know that it's all temporary and that God has called us to walk in this life with joy and with hope of that eternal life and first Peter says that again and again and it helps me I hope it will help you as we reflect on it even this morning so I want you to know that uh, there's, there's one other thing that stands out. If I were to ask you, just kind of man on the street poll, uh, how a person gets to heaven. Now in this church, overwhelming the response would be something akin to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, which is the right answer. Way to go, good for you. But invariably, when you talk to people outside, of Bible teaching, Bible preaching, churches, the answer invariably has to do with performance. Do well, speak well, live well, or at least in the end, live. Your your good deeds outweigh your your bad deeds. Live well. It, it has to do with you and your performance. Or to use a word that we're going to read today. You you must obey. You must obey God. Now, some people actually believe that they obey God all the time. They, they They are offended that you would call them sinners. Sinner, after all, sounds like such a heavy word or even an offensive word for some. But in fact, that's the language of the Bible, by the way. I don't write this stuff. I just read it. For all have sinned and falls short of the glory of God, Romans 3. So all, that includes you, friend, me, all of us are sinners. And any denial that we are sinners is, in fact, false. It's just false. But there are many people who don't like being called sinners. But then, of course, most people would say, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad of sinner." Because in the grand scheme of things, in the scales of God, the scales of justice, you know, I've never done A or B or C or D or whatever they are. And they'll list these things and say, well, you know, because my life sort of measures up, I don't have to worry about damnation. I don't have to worry about rejection. I don't have to worry ultimately about judgment. Because after all, I'm better than I am bad. Good rather than bad well it turns out that there are many things you can't just be a little bit of right there they're just there are just many things you can't be a little bit of the fact that you are any measure of these things and i won't illustrate because i think you probably have some things in mind and i'll let you go with your mind instead of mine but you just can't be a little bit and somehow not be all the way you just can't so so it is with sin by the way just we're not preaching romans 3:23, but i've quoted it already so I'll, I'll remind you the bible says for all have sinned that's past tense all have sinned and fall short that's present tense so it's not just about what you did it's what you're doing you say well what am i doing i don't know that's between you and god and god's spoken already You are doing sin. That's what you're doing. So all have sinned and fall short. Now, right now. I've fallen short already this morning. I know I have. I won't belabor what that is, but I know I've I've fallen short. Because I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous in and of myself. And I am depending upon, therefore, the righteousness of God in Christ. I must believe in Christ. That's what God calls me to do. So he's going to use this phrase that we're going to read here in a moment of a pure soul. And we're going to say, you know, what what constitutes a pure soul? And we're going to say, well, a pure soul is someone who does the right thing. And that's right. But we're going to differ on what's the right thing, probably. So let's read verse 22. the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you now you remember peter is writing to people who are in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of that difficulty they are asking themselves a question that is often asked even in our day which is what's the purpose of all of this and what is god up to what is god accomplishing what is the purpose of this and how does it relate to all these other things there's a second verse to that song and it goes something like this I've got my own problems and I can't be bothered by yours here's sort of a universal reality when you deal with people who are overwhelmed by their own trials or their own sorrows or their own griefs or their own pressures or their own fears they are not fun to be around and the reason they aren't is because we become myopic about everything we just see our problems we see our circumstance and so we can't help we can't serve we can't reach out we can't love anyone else so therefore we resort to other things because we cope in various ways and typically those things are things like anger judgmentalism bitterness vindictiveness we become harsh instead of kind we become hateful instead of loving why because the pressures of life make us so narrow and we cope that way and we say that's that's what we ought to do after all my problem is so big my challenge is so big my troubles are so big i have a right to hurt you i have a right to be mean to you i have a right to ignore you i have a right to write you off i have a right to be bitter toward you i have a right because you caused my problems or you contribute to my problems or if you hadn't Said nothing, this wouldn't have happened. Or if you said too much, this wouldn't have happened. On and on it goes. So our problems are not the same as the first Peter problems, right? We're not, for the most part, exiles in a foreign country. But we are struggling with our problems, our pressures, our difficulties, our sorrows, our sufferings. And some of these are self-inflicted, some of them are not. But the point remains the same, and the principles we're going to glean here in this passage will help us. So I want you to note three things quickly in verse 22 and following number one a pure soul results from obedience to the truth a pure soul results or is caused by obedience to the truth notice how he begins verse 22 he begins with a participle having purified having purified that, that, that's something that's in the past You you did it, but that continues to carry on even now. So there's a participle uh, use of this uh, phrase, having purified your soul. So he's, he's talking about a pure soul. So I've seized upon that, and I would say, do you want a pure soul? Well, some would be so bold as to say, well, I already have one, or I had one even before I met God, to which I would say, no, you didn't. You may have thought you did. You may have a pure soul, more pure soul than your brother or your sister, maybe even your parents, maybe your preacher. But you don't have a pure soul until you do. And you don't, apart from obedience to the truth. That's what it says here. See, he not only uses that participle, he tells you the reason you can claim a pure soul is by your obedience to the truth now most of us when we read that phrase would say well i know what the obedience means that means you know you don't 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 do 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 those are my generation or older can remember that the the primary takeaway of preaching 40 years ago and i won't blame it all on the preachers by the way i'm not blaming the preachers but i will tell you the primary takeaway was the way you determine who's good is you look at their life and those people are good and they're good because they abstain from bad things and because they do good things and to the degree that that's your confidence i want to blow that up today friend i want to blow it up i want to tell you that you're never being, been good enough to somehow purify your soul you've never been the cause of a pure soul you've never been the foundation of a pure soul you've never been the source of a pure soul your work it's important, right? We must obey. That's what it says here. Purify your souls by your obedience. What does he mean by that? Well, this is very important. I hope you will stay with me. I uh, make, make this point often when I come to this point. I, uh, I've already planned my funeral. I've got a list of texts that I want the pastor to read who's going to preach. I have no idea who the pastor's going to be. That's going to be Susan's problem. I'm going to live a long time so you know the guy i've already picked out is probably going to be dead by then so you know the plan is going to blow up i know it is but anyway so but i've already told him what to say and if he doesn't say it oh my i don't know what the plan is but it's not going to go well for him he better say it so i have a couple of texts one is second timothy one and i won't belabor that but the other is the passage i'm about to read because this is important, and I told Susan, you know, I'm not real big on epitaphs on your tombstone, and you know, here lies Greg. You know, yeah. I'm really not into that. You you may be, and that's fine. Bless you, wonderful. Those things cost money. I'm just not going to pay for it. It's not a big deal. But if I had an epitaph, it would include this point that I'm about to make. Okay, look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. All right, so here's here's how you get a pure soul. You obey the truth. You obey the truth. So here's the point. What is the truth? If I have to obey the truth, what is the truth? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn back to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. He's going to tell you what the truth is that you should obey. Now, you remember the context of John 6. This is the meeting of the 5,000 John 6 opens with that miracle then Jesus uh, uh, his, his disciples get in a boat they're going back to the other side of the lake of Sea of Galilee and he meets them in the middle of the night walking on the water and so forth and then they he gets to the other side and the people who have received the miracle of the loaves and fishes have come in their own boats and they knew Jesus didn't leave in a boat, so they began to dialogue with him. Master, how'd you get here? How'd you get here? So he asked that, that question in verse 25. And I want you to note how Jesus interacts with them and what he tells them. So verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because I serve a good lunch because you ate your fill of the loaves do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give to you for on him god the father has set his seal then they said to him what must we do seize upon that word what must we do that's the the universal opinion of humankind, that in fact, it is my performance on the to-do list of God that is going to merit my eternal life. In fact, Jesus is going to blow that up, or he's going to recalibrate it or show it to be different. So they ask in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe. That you believe. <laughs> the work of God is that you believe. Now, I'm going to go back to 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, what does that mean? some would say that means your behavior but I'm telling you that according to Jesus in John 6 it means your belief you better get your belief right he said well I believe in Jesus no no that's not what he said he said believe Jesus not merely believe in Jesus the demons believe in him but they don't believe him They don't believe him. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, believe in him whom he has sent. This is Jesus' fundamental problem with the religious leaders of his day. It's not that they don't believe in him. They know he's a real person, that he's the one who does the miracles. They know these things, but they don't believe him that he is the son of God. So this point is made again and again in the gospel of John. It it stands out in chapter 8. It stands out in chapter 12. But let me just show you the the one that you're the most familiar with. Turn to John 14. John 14. Familiar passage. uh, As familiar a passage in funerals as any passage we could name, perhaps... Uh, This is not on my funeral playlist, but if the pastor takes some liberty and quotes this passage, it's going to be fine with me. I have no heartburn. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe. Believe. It turns out that God and Jesus are God. God the Father, God the Son. And a pure soul results from obedience to the truth. And the truth is that Jesus is the Son of God, and you must believe this. You must have confidence in this. You must believe Jesus at this point. And if you don't, you are not a pure soul. But he's writing, Peter is, to people who claim to have a relationship with God through Jesus, through belief in Jesus, and therefore they claim this pure soul. So he's writing to people, and I think for the most part I'm speaking to people here this morning who understand this, who get it. You want me to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I do, I do, I do. Praise God. That and that alone, friend, qualifies you to claim a pure soul. The miracle of the new birth occurs to those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me show you one more example, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. We'll come back to this again in a minute, so you want to find this verse and keep it dog-eared. This, verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he commanded us. So you'll see that John, in his letter, pairs those two things together, believe and love, just like Peter's about to do in the passage we just read. Believe and love. You must do the work of God, and that work is believe. Believe in the Son of God, in the authority of the Son of God, the power of the Son of God. I wanna encourage you today to get that right, friend. If you're here today, and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you never longed for his glory in your life, for the reality of a relationship with God through his son Christ, then you do not have a pure soul. You cannot have a pure soul. But you can, in fact, be brought into that status, a pure soul, if you believe. And therein is the first work of anybody following God. What must we do to do the works of our Father? Jesus said, believe. Believe. I urge you today to get that right and make sure that you are walking in confidence with Christ. There's a second thing that we see here in 1 Peter, again in verse 22, and that is that from this pure heart, being born again, made new, purified soul, we are to love one another earnestly. Love one another earnestly. If I were to ask you what really matters today and your answer doesn't come back with some tip of the cap at least to love, then you are not reading the Bible well. You're not understanding that you are called to love. A week ago referenced 1 Corinthians 13. I'll do it again uh, this morning the exhortation of the apostle is not to have some smoking hot spiritual gift but the exhortation of the apostle in first corinthians 13 is that no matter what your gift is and no matter how good you are at implementing your gift if you don't have love you are nothing hear it again first corinthians 13:1. if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels by the way that would be pretty impressive but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And If I give away all my, that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, I become a martyr burned at the stake somewhere, but have not love, I gain nothing." Nothing, the Bible could not be more clear that what really matters is you become a lover of people. That's what matters. So he writes, Peter does, to people who have been displaced, people who are angry, afraid, disappointed, lonely, they've lost their money they've lost their possessions they've lost their property how loving are you when that happens to you there are many in this room who've lost loved ones just in the last several weeks much less several months I mean there there are some real challenges in this life and we have not illustrated (laughs) a small percentage there are some real difficulties and somehow when we experience this punch in the gut we excuse ourselves and we say I don't have to be loving right now because I hurt too much or I'm afraid too much or I'm lonely too much or I'm disappointed with God too much and so that gives me the freedom to say what I want to do what I want on and on and on and yet the exhortation of 1 Peter 1 is having purified your souls by obedience to the truth being born again love one another earnestly earnestly interesting that word earnestly is a very strange word in the language of the bible it's only used twice in the new testament so it's a subject of significant interpretive challenges the number one way you understand how the bible uses words is you compare it to other uses so that's obvious that's obvious this is a challenge but these other two are obvious so we'll take these and sort of pile them on here and that's the way we understand this word That's the way all interpretation and translation works. Well, here's a word that's only used twice in the New Testament, so earnestly. The ESV translates it earnestly. What does it really mean? Well, there's two ways you can think about that word, right? The the one is with with a lot of energy, earnestly, just a lot of drive I look to the, you know, floorboard it, just pour on the gas, earnestly. Love one another passionately. That's one way to understand it. But I think there's a second way, and I think that fits the context better myself, so I'm going to advocate for this other. By the way, I'm I'm not not disagreeing that we are to love one another earnestly, and by that we mean with energy or passion, devotion. Now, I certainly agree with that. But what does he mean here? The other way to understand this word is to think in terms of not just Earnestly in terms of speed, but earnest in terms of longevity. Or, to use another word, that we we love one another repeatedly, that we love one another devotedly, that we love one another without condition. We love one another earnestly, and we keep going. It, It has to do with longevity of love, not just the not the flash of love, but the, but the longevity of love. So again, go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What is he trying to advocate for us? He is advocating that we are to not put conditions on our love, that we're to love one another even as God loved us. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How does God love me? So much so that even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was a sinner. Now, who has God called me to love? Well, he's called me to love you. And all of you are sinners. I affectionately use the word turkeys, and Susan gets on to me. Don't call the church turkeys. But I'm going to do it. I have to love all of you turkeys. And you've heard the phrase, you know, it's hard to soar with eagles when you make your living with turkeys. (laughs) All right. So we're all turkeys, every one of us, me included. And we all have to put up with one another. And we have to put up with one another when we're eagles or when we're turkeys. We just do. And it works out in marriage. It works out in families. It works out in workplaces. It works out in school dorm rooms. It works out everywhere. Because everywhere I go, there are people. And people are the biggest challenge I've ever run into. It's true in the church. But we're to love one another earnestly, devotedly, thick and thin, highs and lows, ups and downs, rights and wrongs. We're to love one another this is the witness of Scripture. Let me show you this in Ephesians chapter 4. We're familiar, I think, with much of the Apostle Paul's argument in Ephesians, so I won't belabor it too much, but I I will remind you of these verses. Chapter 4, verse 30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So again, this is the issue of being born again you do not grieve the holy spirit because you've been sealed by the holy spirit and now he moves into imperatives commands verse 31 let all bitterness wrath anger clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice so there's six things there wrath anger clamor slander bitterness and malice let all those things be gone from you but instead verse 32 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you let me say that a different way why should you let all bitterness wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And the answer is, because that's not God. And that grieves God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within you. It grieves God when the nature of our conduct with other people, for whatever reason, and in 1 Peter, the reason is pressure of life, the sorrows of life, the sufferings of life, whenever life gets hard and what busts out of us is bitterness and anger and clamor and slander and malice instead of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, then we are grieving the Holy Spirit and we are not obeying God. We are not. So he concludes, chapter 5, Ephesians, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and there it is, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, the easiest definition of what it means to be a Christian is simply to say, Well, I am a follower of Christ. Well, if we're following Christ, let's acknowledge that if, we character, if our lives are characterized by bitterness, malice, slander, anger, on and on, unforgiveness, a lack of gentleness, a lack of kindness, then we're not following Christ. We're just not. So you say, well, there are certain things in life that give me a get out of jail card here. And the pressures of life can be so big that I have a right to be. 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 No, you don't. No, you don't. I'm not telling you that you're not going to fail. I'm going to tell you you are fail. You, are, you, have, you have failed. You are failing, and you will fail. I'm telling you, that's the world we live in. There's a, there are things in my life and your life that will bring enough pressure. They will squeeze you until you don't know what else is coming out. But that last little bit of whatever you're hiding in there, it's going to come out. And it usually is nasty. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's wrong. It's evil. It's not the will of God. And there are things in our life that bring these things out. And in those pressure times, we need to understand the Holy Spirit would have those things to be gone because we have been born again. We need to confess those things. We need to confess those things to one another. We need to say, will you forgive me? Christ has forgiven me. Will you forgive me? I confess my sin. I acknowledge this is wrong. That's the nature of what it means to be a follower of Christ. There's the third thing, quickly, about out of time. Notice again in chapter 1, 1 Peter, that we were born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Four, and he quotes here, Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This word is good news. (laughs) Yes, it is. Your love is tied to grace. Your salvation is tied to grace. Your love is tied, as it were, to the eternal power of God, the eternal power of the word of God you know he uses this illustration of a perishable seed over against an imperishable seed you know there is nothing in this world that's imperishable i mean i don't know if you're seed oriented or seed minded but let me just say assume for the sake of conversation you are it doesn't matter what you plant it can be vegetables it could be fruits it could be grass it could be flowers it could be trees get you an acorn and go plant an oak tree wonderful good job way to go the problem with that acorn is it's going to fall to the earth and it's going to perish die and the only way that thing produces a tree is if the seed dies so everything in this life is perishable this speaker this bible which is a gift recently that i love dearly in case the people who are watching are i love this new bible this is going to perish with me. That's a sad day. It's going to be a sad. It's a great Bible. This sermon, nobody's going to remember this sucker. It's going to perish. Your stuff is going to perish. You're planting a lot of stuff in your life. It's all going to perish. The only thing that's imperishable, turns out, is that which is caused by, created by, and sustained by God. God is in the imperishable business. So how are you going to not perish? The only hope you have or I have is that we are born again. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable. And the only way that happens is by the word of God. Our hope and our confidence is in the word of God. The word of God calls me to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And I do so. And as such, I know that I have been born again. I have my soul purified. And because of that, he now exhorts me. Now, Greg, by virtue of your new status and your new life, earnestly, faithfully love one another. Commit yourself to that. If you have faith to move mountains and have not love, you've lost it. If you have tongues of angels and you have not love, you've lost it. If you have any of these other spiritual gifts, high powered or low powered, high visibility or low visibility, if you're somebody special to anybody, but if you have not love, you have nothing. Because love is the fundamental objective. Let me show you this plainly again. In 1 John, I close with this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. If you're going to boil down what it means to be a follower of Christ, there it is believe and love believe in love you say well that's you know i would add well, okay i would add a couple things as well but the bible narrows it down to two things believe and love and it really doesn't matter how much pressure you're under how lonely you are how heartache full of heartache you are how difficult your life is difficult is real I assure you friend it's real there are some hard things that we are called to endure but endure them we must and that's why we need one another I need people to come alongside me in the sorrow in the pain in the burden and say I'm here I'm with you you're not alone I'll walk with you let's go let's go let's go some more Let's go again. Come on. I need the body of Christ. And so do you. Because there's no end to difficulty. My command from God and yours is identical. Believe and love one another. If you're here today and you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are in violation of the first commandment of God to believe in his son. And if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then your soul is purified by the imperishable word of God. And because of that, you now have resources, and I trust a desire to love one another. And let us not back up from those commandments. May God give us grace today. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that though we may feel we cannot, you can, and through us, we can. I pray, God, that we would look to you and hope in you and trust in you and rest in you this morning. Where we need, Lord, to be reconciled to others, seek forgiveness, I pray we would, and that you'd give us grace to walk after Christ to conduct ourselves in light of this good news that we have been born again, not of perishable but imperishable seed. Thank you, Father. We love you. We need you today. We are desperate to have you. Give us grace to grow in Christ. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here and you'd like to talk to someone about what it means to be a follower of Christ,